and welcome to Barely a Podcast. The past couple weeks have been a double-edged sword. On one hand, women's quality of life has finally been thrown into the spotlight in a way which seems to get through to people. And on the other, well, the, the current quality of life for women. Come on guys, be sensitive, be kind, be empathetic, and most importantly, just don't be a dick. Now, I know I want to talk, but that's all in the past. We can get better, we just need to try. That's all. It takes a little trying. Anyway, it's been quite a long time between episodes, so I must apologise. However, on a ridiculously positive note, I got engaged. There was a picnic, there was a lot of wind, it was outside, but on the whole, I think it worked out just fine. But what really made it special was when we got back from the picnic, I got a counter-proposal for my other half, which blew mine out of the water and caused me to cry like an angsty teenager. It was the best of times and, I think, the best day of my life so far. This week, I'm sipping a sweet and acidic little number which I've found tastes best brewed through an Aeropress. That's right, it's the house blend of Grow Urban, an Edinburgh-based urban plant store which is awesome. I actually got a bundle of their succulents for my birthday this year and they are gorgeous. The house blend has seen me through the past week with my morning toast and it's becoming the reason I wake up in the morning. Anyway, that's quite a lot for an intro to this show, so let's get down to brass tacks. The internet is changing in several very important ways. Firstly, privacy. As we can all remember from the acronym of the decade, GDPR, legislation is being put in place to stop anonymous trackers from submitting your personal data for profit. Secondly, decentralisation. And to be honest, this has been going on since the invent of the internet. But it's getting a new lease on life as big social media companies sell more and more ad space. Decentralisation, in basic terms, is owning your own data. Instead of having Twitter owning your tweets and having the ability to censor, you can run your own instance of a Twitter-like social media, such as Mastodon, and still connect to the Fediverse at large. Your toots are as secure as you are. So if that sounds interesting to you, it's time we dug deep into today's episode. Jumping off the cloud. How did it all start? Neither of the aforementioned options are the reason why I started a home server. It all really started with the humble Raspberry Pi, which is a single board computer costing around about £35 and can run a fully fledged instance of Linux and has the ability to connect with pretty much anything. If you've never seen what a Raspberry Pi can do, just search for Raspberry Pi projects and be flabbergasted at the amazing work done by programmers, hackers, electronic hobbyists, and complete and utter noobs like me. Well, how could you not be completely and utterly inspired by those amazing projects? I thought, why not? I can do some weird and wonderful things. I can host my own website and other, well, yes, weird and wonderful things. But I've always had a weird relationship with money. Instead of purchasing a normal Raspberry Pi, which in this case would have been the slightly older Model 3B+, I ended up purchasing its little, less powerful cousin, the Model 3A+, which lacked an Ethernet port. 
It was a trade-off I was willing to make back when I was young and stupid. But I still remember it fondly. I ran Raspbian, which is now Raspberry Pi OS, and I really, really got into Linux computing. I always remember how Linux was described to me for one of the first times. It's like flying a terrifying version of EasyJet, where you only pay for the chassis. After that, you can do whatever you want with it. You can have giant seats that recline and have so much space and all the extras you could possibly imagine. Well, it's safe to say I've been using Linux as a daily driver ever since. But really, it wasn't until the first lockdown that I started to dig deeper into the wonderful world of self-hosting. The first service I decided to reclaim, so to speak, was my own personal website. And as a podcast lover, I had, of course, heard of and utilised all the affiliate links for a little hosting site you might know as Squarespace. And to be honest, if money wasn't an issue, I would still be using it, hands down. That's when I decided we're going to host our own website and it's going to be great. Initially, I searched for a like-for-like -like Squarespace replacement. And then I realised that there's a reason why proprietary software such as Squarespace and similar experiences were paid for. And that's when it hit me. Do I really need a fully-fledged platform which encompassed e-commerce and newsletters and block editing and everything in between? I mean, I'm not scared of coding, but it's going to take a little bit more elbow grease. Well, the answer may shock you, but no, I, I don't need a fully-fledged e-commerce system. What my website really needs is static information. And that's when I found the wonders that is the static site generator and the war constantly being waged. In the static site generator war, we've got four big main players, and that's Jekyll, Gatsby, Hugo, and Ghost. Other static site generators are available. What these nifty little programs are designed to do is to take plain text markdown files and magically transform them and render them in a glorious HTML file to look nice and pretty for your browser. The software themselves are all usually open source, free to download and use, and actually quite simple to use. But I will preface this by saying only if you feel kind of comfortable on the command line slash terminal. There are foolproof walkthroughs on the respective generators' websites, and that's what I really use to dig deeper into Linux computing as well. The communities are super friendly, and there are plenty of community-built themes to customise your site to make it look fancy. If you feel super adventurous, and this is where I fall flat on my face, you can even set up a GitLab repository, edit the site remotely, and then trigger the generator to rebuild your site when it notices changes in the repository. Isn't that awesome? And this actually pinpoints one of the real benefits of running and learning to admin your own home server. You can choose how deep you dive. You come out of a need of necessity and then you stay to learn more and just be really, really nerdy. It's great fun. And did I mention it's all plain text? If you've never heard of Markdown, it's this really, really great, not even programming language, but formatting language, where all you need to do is focus on the content, 
write the words, and instead of highlighting things and clicking the I button or Control-I on your keyboard to make it italic, you just surround the word or the phrase or the paragraph that you need in italics with an asterisk. Either side, beginning and end. Boom. You don't need to worry about it because the static site generator will magically turn that into italics for you. Content first. Content. It's brilliant. It's so liberating focusing completely on your content and not having to worry about how it will look at the end. Well, boom. That's what tipped me over the edge into the home server. It was great. It felt so liberating not having to fork out £30 a month for all of these website hosting services. So once I'd started, I wondered what else could I cut out of the end of month tech bill because I'm Scottish and cheap. Well, the next was a big one. Cloud storage. I mean, where would we be these days without Google Drive or Dropbox or iCloud? I know I'd be screwed. Although I have started to carry around a small flash drive just in case. What I really wanted was to not have to pay an exuberant amount of money per year for a company to essentially have complete access to the data I'm holding with them. It just feels freaky, especially with all of the recent spates of hacking going on. It didn't take me long to find a solution. Actually, I'm pretty sure it was the first service that my search engine had offered to me. And it was Nextcloud, a complete cloud solution, not only for storage, but a whole groupware suite. So that's, well, storage, your calendar and your contacts and your mail, and even a fully fledged office suite. Everything you could possibly need, but hosted on your server, able to access anywhere. This is where it gets a little bit tricky because it wasn't the easiest thing to set up, especially for a semi-noob like me. And it was even worse trying to install it on a Raspberry Pi, because a Raspberry Pi actually doesn't run on the same computing processor architecture as Mac or PC. It runs on a much smaller system called ARM. Seeing as I was starting to really enjoy myself and really enjoy learning Linux and starting to refer to myself as a system administrator, I decided to buy the bullet and purchase a second-hand server off of eBay. It was old, it was giant, and it was a Dell T110. It also died within two months. I was sad, but I easily filled the void with another purchase. But this time, it was a Dell R450, which was a much more palatable rack-mounted form factor. Seeing as I work with rack-mounted audio gear on a daily basis, there was no issues getting it mounted and sounding happy-ish. Now, as a quick aside, again, you know how much I love doing these. The R450 I purchased was not expensive. In fact, it costs roughly about the same as a brand new 8GB Raspberry Pi 4 Model B. But then, for the same money, with the 
R450, I have the option for super quick SAS hard drives up to about six terabytes and the ability to have so much RAM, I don't even know what to do with it. I honestly think it goes up to about 240 gigs worth of RAM. That's, that's crazy. I'm not actively telling you to go to eBay and purchase a server, but if you're worried about the cost of entry, it's not actually too bad. Unlike gaming or other computer-based hobbies, you don't need the top-of-the-line stuff if you're just starting out. You can get something, I mean the R450 is at least a decade old, and it's working like a trooper. Do keep in mind, however, in comparison, a Raspberry Pi 4 Model B has a very significant lower energy cost. One of the awesome things about the R450 is its ability to show the current energy output on its LED screen. I'm certainly not taxing the unit, but on average it's using about 118 watts of energy constantly. The server is up 24-7. Unless it crashes, then it's up for maybe 23.957. Yeah, I'm a nerd. In hindsight, Nextcloud wasn't actually what I was looking for, but I'm invested now and I'm going to stick with it. I usually prefer the option of hosting an individual app and creating my own groupware-esque suite, loading individual instances of things like Sift for mail conglomeration, uh, possibly C-File for all the file hosting side of things, and then a lightweight document editor like CodyMD for writing blog posts and podcast scripts, and if you can't tell, I love Markdown. Hindsight is great, but I'm still super chuffed with my next cloud setup. Installing it on a non-ARM processor was not actually too difficult, and there is some good documentation out there. But it is a major shame that the official documentation site is constantly down for no discernible reason without warning. One of the features I really, really liked about installing Nextcloud was the built-in security check at the end. It highlights certain aspects of the instance configuration which can be improved, and then points you to the exact documentation page where it gives you a step-by-step walkthrough on how to fix the warnings. Boom. It's like having a mentor over your shoulder telling you to fix something and why, but not necessarily leaving you with the 10,000-page instruction booklet on safe networking protocols. Because that would be really, really dry. The interface itself is slick and modern and it's really, really actually pleasurable to navigate. If you feel like something's missing, you can easily extend Nextcloud's capabilities with the built-in App Store, which gives you access to things like the Collabora Document Editing Suite, raw image previews, rule-based upload classification automation, and there's even an experimental podcatcher to complement the built-in media player. It almost feels like an operating system in itself. And yes, techies, I know that I'm super simplifying an OS, but at the very least, it's a complete home server ecosystem. That was a bit of a tangent on Nextcloud, so let's move on to the next thing I'm going to talk about. Self-hosting media. 
If you're looking into self-hosting for the first time, you'll find a lot of people's first post is asking how to stream their expansive video catalogue from their PC to the big screen. I know I went through a major phase of kickstarting various little gadgets and gizmos that should turn my media catalogue into a tiny, portable home theatre PC, and I was constantly sorely disappointed. I decided that, like the design philosophy of Linux itself, I was going to cater my media hosting to what I needed. And this started off with video streaming. I had previous experience with two of the three major players in home media streaming, namely Plex and Kodi. Both of my past experiences left things to be desired, so I immediately knocked those two off the list. Next up was a software called MB, which I had zero experience with. MB is very well regarded, but as of 2017, they decided to stop being an open source software and go for a proprietary license. This wasn't a massive deal for me, but if I could go and support an open source solution, then I would rather do that. After a little bit of research, I stumbled across Jellyfin, an open source fork of MB, which has been independently developed for a good while now. Installation was a breeze. It literally consisted of adding the Jellyfin PPA to my package manager list of sources, and then I said, hey, package manager, install Jellyfin. It's almost like downloading an exe file and double-clicking. That simple. It was great. I pointed Jellyfin to the folders where my media was kept, and bada-bing, bada-boom, I was good to go. There was little in the way of metadata management needed. The helpful identify tool let me search IMDB, or OMDB, or the TVDB, and any other DB provider that you can think of and it would auto-inject the data and download all of the pretty, pretty images. Now, after a little port forwarding and security measures, I can access my TV and movie library from wherever I am. And honestly, if you're looking for some video streaming, Jellyfin will always get my vote. There's desktop clients which utilize the awesome MPV player on all of your usual OS suspects. There's an Android client and even a Fire TV client. That is pretty expensive. Not only with that, you can extend the feature set of Jellyfin with their built-in plugin system. They even have a plugin for fanart. It will search fanart.com and pull any cool and awesome covers for you to add to your own movies. As I seem to say an awful lot in this show, I'm only on the tip of the iceberg when it comes to self-hosting. I'm not slowing down anytime soon. Don't tell anyone, I have at least one other single board computer in the works and possibly a host of other small PCs for me to use and destroy my energy bill. It's going to be great. If you're even a little bit of a computer nerd, do yourself a favour and buy a Raspberry Pi Download some self-hosting apps and revel in the awesomeness that is system administration. And if you're interested in what I'm actually hosting, you can find the network diagram on social, so that's at Bearsound Studio on Twitter and at Barely underscore Media on Instagram, where you get to see a breakdown of the different software I'm hosting on what platform and where. 
as you can imagine, we'll revisit the home lab soon and look at a few other interesting bits and pieces. So, if you see something on the network you'd like discussed in more detail, just drop me a message. If you have any questions about the home server or any of my other topics, please get in touch. I would love to hear from you. so much for tuning in to this incredibly delayed episode of Barely a Podcast. It's been quite dense, it's been very nerdy. If you haven't already, listen back to my previous episodes. Each are standalone. Hopefully you managed to catch a rather interesting addition to the feed last week. Keep your ears peeled later on this week for the first full-length installment of the Barely Media experiment, The Wretched, an exciting alien-esque narrative told over audio logs from the stranded spaceship, The Wretched. I should say that the entire script is based off an actual play of Loot the Room's solo tabletop role-playing game of the same name. You can grab it on itch.io like I did, or direct from Loot the Room. Please support them. They are awesome. I think I've rambled on to you for long enough for one week. So enjoy the rest of yours. Introduce one of your friends to this very podcast. And if you can bear to wait, I'll see you next week. The Zephyr darted like an arrow through the water. Her sharp bow cutting the tiny waves like a knife. And the boys shipped them. Give way together. Added Ben, and away went the Zephyr with the first stroke of the oars.